to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. I said this time last year in reference to 2020 that we'd probably never have another year like it. I think I was like most people in that at the time I thought 2021 would be pretty much just back to normal. In fairness, a lot of sports got kind of close, but we all have still struggled with managing all of the challenges that come with a continuing global pandemic. But as we know, the show must go on and that includes sponsorship. As such, despite the challenges of 2021, it was still a great year filled with lots of amazing chats with sponsorship professionals from all over the world on this podcast. As a milestone, we surpassed 100 episodes and marked the occasion with a three-part series looking at the future of sponsorship, which saw three roundtables of experts share their views across three episodes. Now, as always, we've wrapped up the year and revisited the 11 episodes of Inside Sponsorship in 2021. You might have seen on social media that for each show, we pull out a 30 to 45 second snippet and turn it into a video to help whet your appetite for the episode. As such, we've gone back and pulled out the full question and answer relating to that snippet and created a best of 2021 show for you. Hi, I'm Daniel Oyston, host of Inside Sponsorship, and you're listening to episode 104, brought to you by Core Software. It is great to have you listening to the show, no matter where you are in the world or what your connection is with the sponsorship industry. And I trust you're all well wherever you are in the world. Before we dive into the show, I have a few shout outs. The first is to Jonathan Lewis Oliver, sponsorship and partnership executive at Somerset County Cricket Club in England, who connected with me on LinkedIn and wrote, I just wanted to drop you a line as I've been listening to your Inside Sponsorship podcast on Spotify the last couple of months. I've recently started at Somerset County Cricket Club in the UK and am responsible for managing and activating partnerships. It's a big change in career for me and your podcast has been invaluable these past couple of months for me in growing my understanding of the role requirements but also generating ideas. After listening to a few episodes, I decided to start from the beginning and am gradually working my way through. That's so cool, Jonathan. You're going to go back and listen to all of those episodes. It should keep you going for a while, but it is great to hear from you and congrats on the new role and I hope you're settling in well. I also connected with Chris Iconomu on LinkedIn who wrote, I just wanted to touch base and say I really enjoyed the latest episode of Inside Sponsorship with Joseph. It's amazing to see how some sponsorship assets are very similar in Australia, but also understand how much room there is to grow in that space. Thanks for providing a great platform to learn about sponsorship on a global scale. Great to hear from you as well, Chris. And I know Joseph is an avid listener of the show, so he'll be glad to hear you enjoyed his episode. While we will hear from Joseph again later and all the other guests from 2021 later on, now we'll hear from Jordan Weatherby, Senior Business Intelligence Analyst at Core Software, who joins us to discuss her latest blog at coresoftware.com, which examines the top four sponsorship activations in 2021. Here's Jordan. Jordan, welcome to the show. This is the first time we've had you on the podcast, and it is, in all honesty, a great blog topic to discuss. It was a little bit serendipitous because it fits really nicely with the show theme of the podcast, which is the best bits of all the shows from 2021. Now, you've written a blog that looks at the top four sponsorship activations for 2021, but 
Look, throughout 2021, we were really still slowly being introduced to pre-pandemic times as we took our first tentative steps. Sporting events and, and other forms of entertainment, they opened their gates, but it was often with limited capacity. And there was still, most of the fans still kind of watched from home rather than going to stadiums and, and venues. So teams and brands and other stakeholders, they really needed to work hard to embrace the creativity that was needing, the thinking outside the box, which was needed to engage with fans beyond what we'd seen for years before, which was all those traditional activations that proved quite successful but weren't going to cut the mustard anymore. And you've looked at some great examples. The first one you've picked was Dude with a Sign. Yeah, Daniel, thanks for having me on this. I love this first activation that we talk about here because it was kicked off 2021 with great creativity and traditional assets and sponsorship. For those of you who aren't familiar, Dude with a Sign is a social media influencer that brings humor to normal day-to-day activities by silently holding a sign in public with a typically ironic message. So this activation happened in Super Bowl 55 and included one of the oldest assets known to sponsorship, a sign within the venue. By partnering with Bud Light, Dude with a Sign brought this traditional asset to the 21st century by leveraging his social media influence. There was an Instagram post from the dude's account with a shout out to mom and thanking Bud Light for the tickets and seltzers. The best part is that the dude had two signs during the game with no direct mention of Bud Light, but with seltzer in hand and a Bud Light branded mask, the consumers on social media were able to put two and two together. With over a million likes on Instagram, the dude and Bud Light were able to reach more than just the 25,000 fans in attendance for Super Bowl 55. I love that activation. It's a great activation. I particularly liked how it elicited really strong reactions. Some people love the humor. Some people sort of reacted strongly and, and angrily against it, which really just adds into more of the conversation and more of the organic reach, to be honest. But also that it, there was no direct mention of Bud Light on the signs. So I think that was that was quite smart, that activation. Really enjoyed it. Mixed Reality was the second one you looked at. What was Mixed Reality all about? So Daniel, like you said before, 2021 did bring in some fans in attendance, but like you said, a lot of people were still watching from home. The mixed reality actually goes back to 2019 when the Baltimore Ravens broke the creative bounds of reality for the first time. They introduced a mixed reality giant raven swooping through their stadium. Given this was virtual reality and the massive raven was only viewable by the TV audience and those watching the video boards in the stadium, but it got a great response from those audiences. Since then, several teams have joined this trend, giving their intro videos and touchdown celebrations an extra punch for the viewers at home and the stadium. In 2021, the Houston Texans brought this creativity to their partnership with Kroger with a crowd favorite video board race. Instead of being constrained to just the video board, this activation encompassed the entire stadium, making a larger-than-life activation for the typical in-game promotion. I love this mixed reality. My brain just like keeps ticking over with all these cool applications. As a big Star Wars fan, I fantasize how they might market a new Star Wars movie in the future with spaceships converging on a city. So I, I would absolutely love that. I would watch that a million times. Jordan, the next one you looked at was name, image, likeness, and that relates to college athletes. 
Yes. So 2021 was the first year that college athletes were able to profit from their name, image, and likeness. So we call that NIL. This area of sponsorship has been booming in 2021, and it's really the perfect opportunity for local businesses to partner with college athletes without paying the typical university partnership price tag. I have seen so many this year, and I do list a few here because they're some of the favorites that I've seen. The first one I want to talk about is the University of Pittsburgh quarterback, Kenny Pickett. He has a NIL deal with Spirits and Tales Restaurant, which is a local restaurant, and he takes his O-line out to weekly hog dinner before their games. And so this is great. We're seeing a lot of athletes actually use their NIL to help the teammates that are helping them be successful on the field. Very recently, Paige Bukers out of UConn, she plays for their women's basketball team there, signed a historic deal with Gatorade. This was the first college athlete ever to be signed with Gatorade. One of my fan favorites from this year is an underdog story with NILs. Jared Casey, a walk-on fullback at the University of Kansas, gained internet notoriety after catching a pass on a two-point conversion overtime to give Kansas its first win in Austin to defeat the Texas Longhorns. Thanks to Casey's parents posting a video from the game where they weren't even sure if it was their son who got the touchdown, the Thrive Group restaurant group immediately jumped on the fame. Within three days of Casey catching this and winning the game for the University of Kansas, he was filming his very own Applebee's commercial, promoting their two for $22 deal with a classic line, you've always got to go for two. I love the nimbleness of that activation because it isn't just being able to see the connection and for want of a better word, the creativity that goes into that with the number two and the links to the game and all that sort of stuff, but the speed to be able to get it to market while the hype is still real and there's still content on social media and there's still engagement and conversation around the game. That actually takes some real skill from the marketing department. So I love the nimbleness of that one. Now, finally, Jordan, your last top activation for 2021 was Starbucks is a hometown team, which focuses on community engagement. So Starbucks kind of has a twofer here. In 2021, Starbucks announced partnerships with two of their hometown teams, one being the NWSL OL Marine and the NHL Seattle Kraken. Starbucks wanted to leverage these partnerships to make positive impact within the community. Starbucks is the presenting sponsor for the OL Reigns Legends campaign, which recognizes a female leader for her extraordinary contributions to the community and beyond. Reign Legends are selected from corporate, nonprofit, academic, athletic, and civic organizations with a presence or ties to the Pacific Northwest community. For the Kraken, Starbucks is its community impact partner to help strengthen the community and advance inclusion and equity in Seattle. The partnership will focus on addressing the related critical needs of access to resources and an opportunity for young people. With two major local partnerships, Starbucks has shown their consumers that they're more than just a latte by continually investing in their local community. Great rundown on the top four activations for 2021, Jordan. We had Dude with a Sign, we had Mixed Reality, we had Name, Image, Likeness, and we had Starbucks is a hometown team. It is clear that brands and rights holders are really looking to try and leverage technology and creativity as well as trying to strengthen those community connections and engagement. 
which is important because more than ever, it's important to reach fans and followers. And they need to, of course, as we still try and get back to normal. But we also have like really fragmented audiences who are demanding more on how they consume content. And then we've got the business side of it with increased focus on sponsorship return on investments. There's a lot of things that are going in here to sort of, for me, trying to force the creativity or change the creativity where it seems pre-pandemic we were kind of just going through the motions there were some great activations but we weren't really thinking outside the box all that often it's exciting to see how future activations will continue to evolve down that path listeners if you would like to read jordan's blog in slow time head to coursesoftware.com and look for blogs under the resources section jordan thank you so much for joining us and running us through your top four sponsorship activations for 2021 Thanks, Daniel. Thanks to Jordan for joining us for her first chat on the show, but also her last as she makes the move to the Miami Dolphins in 2022. Jordan, congrats on the new role, and we all hope it's everything you want it to be. As I mentioned earlier, we've wrapped up the year and revisited the 11 episodes of Inside Sponsorship in 2021. You might have seen on social media that for each show, we pull out a 30 to 45 second snippet. We turn it into a video to help whet your appetite for the episode. As such, we've gone back and pulled the full question and answer out for you from that snippet and created a best of 2021 show for you. In episode 93, Alice Larkworthy, Senior Partnership Services Manager, took us inside Arsenal FC. Being bespoken and being flexible is is certainly helpful but let's talk about what trends you might be seeing or or even predicting because the pandemic has given an opportunity for rights holders and brands alike to rethink that transfer of value in relation to partnerships and as i mentioned with coca-cola earlier what are some of the key changes or trends that you think are going to come about on the transfer of value front difficult to pinpoint i think because at the moment we're still not back to normal if you know what I mean like we've still probably got another you know six months year potentially of us trying to navigate the various different complexities of of COVID so I think it'd be it will be tricky but obviously if you talk about the explosion of tech over this this period of time we as a club feel kind of we're very innovative we'd be open to kind of have those those conversations in terms of how we as a business can improve from here in the future. And and maybe that's an area that will kind of get investigated and, and explored a little bit more. I think when we talk about, I guess, the future digital rights, et cetera, are, are being used all over the shop, which is great. It kind of allows us to reach, you know, a far wider audience, but we also just need to be understanding that if that's what everyone is doing, how are our partners finding the breathing space within that kind of cluttered market? So there's obviously your very traditional side of social media channels that we use, you know, but there's also the emergence of new platforms, TikTok, Twitch, et cetera, which are fairly, I guess, new in, in the space of sponsorship. They're not obviously necessarily new in, in you know, the, the wider world, but, you know, starting to, I guess, understand those a little bit more, you know, how, um, you know, how we can use these platforms to leverage these sponsorships, which we may not have been before. So, you know, we work with uh, Konami, for example, who are obviously produce pro evolution soccer. So they're very, you know, au fait with how Twitch works and, you know, gaming streaming and, and things like that. So that transfer of value that we spoke about is maybe actually something as simple as knowledge share and kind of just understanding from them a little bit more how they use it, what's worked for them, what hasn't. Can we take that on board? And then start to build, 
you know, what our potential program on those platforms would be. So it doesn't even really need to be something that sophisticated. It could just be learning from people who've been using these, you know, in, in the wider digital space for, for much longer than, than we have and what we can learn and how we can use it. Shannon Quinn joined us in episode 94 to take a look inside an agency one year on from COVID starting. It's an interesting comment about increasing budgets on the brand side, but clearly tempered with those comments around caution on how it is going to be spent and how far out they're willing to plan, but also the challenges of rights holders planning in their timeframes as well. So I'm curious about when you look at your client sponsorship deals from this time last year, so let's be clear, pre-pandemic before the world got turned upside down, but then comparing that to this year, what stands out for you the most? Are you seeing a lot of change in the types of assets being offered by rights holders? Are they being more sort of creative or or coming to the table with a bit more of an open book or even changing the fees they're being charged or those payment terms? And I'm also interested in whether the tone of those conversations that you are having with brands and rights holders, whether that's changed at all. Is it it kind of still the same or is it a bit more of a, well, let's just come to the table and see what we can nut out? Rights holders and clubs and a lot of the a lot of the partners that we deal with are, are certainly hurting, both financially and from a staffing perspective. You know, we we saw last year there were you know some clubs or some rights holders that had to you know had to put off you know fifty percent of their staff, which is which is pretty crazy and, and quite sad. And and I don't feel that those those levels have come back to you know come back to where they where they were pre COVID. So not only is that difficult for you know for rights holders because you know they're they have um, same amount of same amount of sponsors that they need to service. They have the same amount of revenue targets they need to hit, but they've also got 30% less people sort of attracting that um, that level of service. So I really feel for them at the moment. But at the same time, you know, there is a need for, for new assets. There's a need for new inventory to make up for these shortfalls of last year. And I feel what they're doing is creating new assets or adapting new assets with as as little touch as possible. So not as many people need to be, I guess, involved, um, especially based off how, how lean some of these organizations are now have to be. So I don't feel the tones changed as such, but we certainly, we're certainly doing a lot more due diligence and, and pre-analysis and evaluation work, et cetera, versus last year as brands, you know, brands need to not only be more, I guess, risk adverse, but, but need a sponsorship spend to go even further than, than, than before, because, you know, who knows if another pandemic's going to hit touch with it? It never does again. But um, we need to, you know, we need to future future proof some of these partnerships. And and by uh, by setting these sort of measurements in place beforehand, I think it sets a partnership up for for long term success. And also, you know, brands need to stand out with you know with renewed category category tension and and also be far more far more accountable. So. One of our clients, who I mentioned earlier, KFC is in the QSR category, a highly competitive category with the likes of McDonald's and Hungry Jacks and, and the like. So all of these other other competitive brands have also done pretty well during COVID. So what we're finding as well is there's a lot of competitive tension. So brands need to, you know, adapt and they need to be more creative and they need to try try new things to really disrupt not only the industry and, and the category, but also also their their competitors really. So unless you um you know, unless you're willing to do that, then you're gonna be left behind. In episode 95, Joel Seymour Hyde from Octagon took us inside the impending ban on gambling sponsorship in the UK. It's an interesting point speaking about a moral compass and what the government legislation is at the time when you're doing that work because gambling companies are, at the end of the day, they're just another business and it must be pointed out that they are a legal business. They're not offering anything that's illegal. 
Do you think it's fair for governments then at this point in time when they're not illegal businesses to go after banning gambling sponsorships and play sports under even more pressure when we're in such uncertain economic times? Is it fair, do you think? Is it fair on whom? So you you could argue in a way that this type of legislation in the end would hurt rights holders more than gambling companies. So... I think, you know, we'll come to that in a second. The the sort of analysis in terms of the pressure for some gambling companies, I think, you know, gambling companies make a lot of money at the moment in most cases. So, um, and they're pretty adaptable. So, uh, you know, again, even speaking of, with, with Paddy as a client, I'm certainly not trying to be unsympathetic to them, but equally, you know, they, they do have the ability to adapt and, and, and their business model is not being threatened here. It's just about places where they should place their brand. I think the the question of, is this unfairly harsh on rights holders, particularly, you know, for example, I guess, smaller football clubs and smaller, and again, with all due respect, smaller sports, just in terms of like eyeballs and volume of fans and commercial revenues, such as maybe, you know, snooker and darts and, and horse racing who do rely on gambling investments, hitting their revenue streams at a time where their revenue streams have already been hit hard. Yes, that does feel insensitive. But again, you know, it comes back to it's political at the moment. It's it's a sort of it's a good political point scorer to target this area. So unfortunately, it's going to be an area of conversation, and it probably will push in a certain direction because I think you're going to have you're going to find it hard pressed to find enough MPs who will come out and say we you know reject this type of motion just because of the sensitivity of the topic. So I think this comes back to the point that. In my mind, it's as I say, the the target is too narrow, and a target is a little bit unfair, and it's not really addressing the core problem. So, going after you know Burnley because they have a betting brand on their shirt and hitting their revenue in a year where they've you know had revenue hits already, or even you know going into the championship. Obviously, there are a number of clubs with betting brands too. And targeting the shirt does feel unfair when there's a lot of you know gambling money that still will be spent but won't go to the clubs. So you know the best example is you can ban a club from having a brand on their shirt, but it'll be fine for Bet365 to have all the pre-roll inventory around your you know OTT platform where you then watch the game. And you could you know you could make the argument that that pre-roll inventory is actually more impactful to a user than the shirt. So it does beg the question, you know, are, are they going after the right issue in the topic or, or the right point in the around the issue? Or are they targeting the football shirt? Because again, to my earlier point, it's a very easy and demonstrable win to take because if you can, because it is quite an obvious thing, you know, you see it on the shirt, it's kind of emotive. So if politicians can turn around and say, oh, look, we've removed that from the shirt, aren't we wonderful, we've solved a you know problem, thank you very much. It is very narrow because there will be lots of gambling spend that still goes around the other inventory around football. So it doesn't really solve the problem if there's a problem to discuss and does have an unfair impact on, on you know, probably some rights holders who have less revenue. So your big clubs, your Man U's and Chelsea's and Tottenham's, you know, the ones who demand the... 30, 40, 50 million pound a year shirt deals don't have betting brands on those shirts anyway. So they're okay. But I think a lot of it comes from the perception that 
this is going after two groups that make a lot of money, you know? So from the betting point of view, I mean, again, sometimes they don't necessarily help themselves. So uh, I'm not sure if you saw on the news wires here, but um, there's a lady called Denise Coates, who is the uh, chief exec of Bet365. And uh, she paid herself £421 million last year. So, you know, she did, well, last, this is her sort of annual payout. So in that context, asking for much sympathy for the category is very challenging. And then it's the same, it's the same with football clubs. Like there is a perception, obviously, there's sort of, I guess, the, the mainstream media perception of football being very, very, very wealthy whether that's the clubs or the players. And so you often find it's very hard to elicit sympathy for the plight of a football club's commercial revenue if you cut off something like gambling sponsorship because, you know, there's obviously lots of other sports and governing bodies and areas who could plead significantly more poverty. But that doesn't obviously take into account, as I said, the smaller clubs who genuinely do live, you know, sort of hand-to-mouth, month to month and do have genuine issues. So, yeah, it's obviously, you know, there's lots of layers to this, but, you know, I think the key piece is being there are lots of big, you know, organisations that do make a lot of money. When you combine that with an easy target for politicians, you, you can see how we've got to this sort of place and why sympathy for commercial pressure will not be massively forthcoming. And to be honest, the normal answer, the normal response to that if a small club complains they're not going to have enough revenue, the normal response is, well, just you know, get the Premier League to fund you more, and that, you know, and, and that it's a, a kind of lack of sympathy to the actual mechanics of how football works. Tom Rishbeth took us inside Football Australia's commercial program in episode ninety-six. Commonwealth Bank's commitment to women's football supports Football Australia's Legacy 23 plan. Tom, tell us about what that plan is and and how much of an important element that is in attracting partners at the moment. So Legacy 23 is a a plan that we launched at Parliament House in Canberra, which is the capital city of Australia, earlier this year. What it is is Football Australia's plan to ensure that we realise long-term benefits from co-hosting the the FIFA Women's World Cup in 2023. I think as there's a lot of commentary around what major events can do for can do for a country from an economic standpoint, from a tourism perspective, from a, a participation in sport perspective. But you know, often legacy is something that's thought about relatively soon prior to the event or or it's something that you know we'll deal with that post the events left. And there's obviously been a lot of commentary around the cost of hosting mega events around the world. And I think for us as the governing body, again, FIFA is is the organisation that's ultimately tasked with delivering that event. But for us, we can start planning now to make sure that we capitalise on those you know, few weeks in 2023 to ensure the long-term growth of the sport. So Legacy 23 is essentially designed around five pillars around participation. The biggest goal that we've got is reaching gender parity and participation for women and, and men in football by 2027. And we know that having all eyes on the sport in 2023 can help accelerate that goal. You know, the second pillar is community facilities, so improving football grounds, giving more people opportunity to play around the country. There's a leadership and development pillar, which is all around supporting women and girls through educational programs to ensure we've got greater representation in key roles, whether that be coaching, referees, administration around the country as well. There's a diplomacy and, and national engagement pillar 
and finally a, a high performance pillar as well. Obviously, you know, getting more opportunities for our national teams to to play on the world stage. So, what that plan does is set out a whole range of programs and initiatives that we've we've cost out. The the plans are there, and then there's a there's a stage program of an ask for for government funding. There's opportunities for commercial partners to get involved with philanthropy as well. And again, for us, it's all about starting the work right now to make sure that the game grows between now 2023 and for the next 15 to 20 years beyond that. And is that a key thing that you put into your pitches to sponsors at the moment? Yeah, I think that vision is something that we're seeing a lot of interest in. I think it's helpful to be able to have a clearly defined set of objectives, some of which we can clearly enumerate. As I said, you know, we are very bullish and we came out well before we won the rights to co-host the World Cup that we wanted to reach gender parity by 2027. I think some of those goals and aims and objectives are, are things that you know, commercial partners like to be able to attack attach themselves to there are things that enable them to be part of the the genuine narrative of helping grow the sport and helping support our community and so i think having something in writing that we're going to deliver that we've got a framework around already has been really helpful for for me and the team to go out to market with and say look we're on this journey we are going to achieve these goals we need to do it regardless but with your support, if you come on board, you can help us get there faster and you can also be part of that narrative genuinely as well. And we're seeing a lot of interest in that. Creativity and sponsorship was the topic in episode 97 with Misha Share from Mediacom. As we've established, digital is becoming increasingly important. And, and as I said, COVID is accelerating that. Are there any trends that you're seeing across the use of imagery versus video in sponsored content at the moment? Yes, absolutely. I think we've seen a huge acceleration in, in the rise of video content. And that's for good reason, because it's far more effective than imagery. As a matter of fact, I believe video content is far more engaging than any, any type of content. And some of, the, some of the data that we looked at recently show that I think on, on platforms like Instagram, and this is, by the way, this is pretty consistent across the board. It might not be exactly the same, but let's say if you look at if you look at something like Instagram, which is one of the bigger platforms where people interact, video content attracts three times more engagement than any other type of content. So it's uh, you know it's what people want. It's that's why there's so much investment now in in you know across agencies and and brands into you know into video content because that's what people um, that's what that's what ultimately engages. So yes, if the question is 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 it more effective than than imagery, for example, then absolutely. In episode 98, Steve Waitley from Nielsen Sports took us inside best practice fan data and use. What's your general sense then of how the market sees fan data at the moment, particularly in terms of how it's maybe changed over the past 10 years or so as our clearly our sophistication in being able to gather and interpret the data that we gather has improved? Because there is always lots of commentary about how important data is, but I am never sure personally how much of this is is really just lip service for want of a better phrase as opposed to real deep understanding and, and good use of the data. Over that 10-year horizon that you mentioned, I don't think there's ever been a bigger discrepancy in the sophistication of both rights holders and brands when it comes to sponsorship data. And that's, I think that's because there's now some really advanced ways of understanding fans like the FanLinks data set. 
but not everyone is interested or willing to invest the money to actually reap the benefits from that deeper understanding. And so what we're seeing now is some partnerships are still all the way back at being a chair's choice, while other partnerships are relying on significant fan data, both in that selection phase of the partnerships, as well as the ongoing measurement of the partnership. And rights holders are getting more savvy. So obviously not all rights holders, but we do have, you know, Nielsen have got lots of clubs across, you know, AFL, NRL, NBL, Super Netball, BBL, et cetera, using this FanLinks data to give them a real edge in market when they're trying to both retain their current partners and also secure new partners. There's, I think, a really good example that demonstrates how that actually looks in reality. So we know a situation where there was a particular sponsor who is now with one of the AFL clubs and they decided they wanted to be with an AFL club based in Victoria. So that's one of 10 AFL clubs. So what they did was they basically communicated to all those clubs, hey, we want to department with one of you, but you need to tell us why it's you and not one of the other 10 clubs in Victoria. And what actually happened was one of the smallest clubs in Victoria won that deal because they were one of the early adopters of this FanLinks data set and were able to tell a really compelling story specifically about that consumer category and also down to that specific brand as to why their audience was the best fit for that particular partnership. So it was really powerful for them in securing that that new partnership that you can you can see running around on the field now. I think something else as well, so that's kind of the rights holders perspective and we also understand probably the brand perspective there as well. So we did some research with the industry recently in our sponsorship outlook report. And what brands are clearly telling us is that they're demanding better data now from rights holders. So we did some research and it's really clear that they want more tailored proposals with more relevant information on why the property is a good fit for them specifically. So some brands are now actually getting quite smart and also using this data to proactively assess the entire market to find the best fit audience, not just reactively assessing opportunities that come across their desk, which is a really interesting evolution in, in how brands are looking to partner. Ben Foster took us inside social media audience listening for sponsorships in episode 99. Obviously, as you described, there are lots and lots of people on social media, 4.8 billion users, as the name suggests. It is social, and so people are on there having conversations and sharing and expressing views and themselves and and their lives and all that sort of stuff, the things that go into making them social beings. What are the benefits to brands and rights holders listening into those conversations, so to speak? Why would they do it? What are they looking for? What's probably key for brands to, to monitor are a number of things. At TalkWalker, we have a, a, a bit of a framework that we have help organizations go to to prioritize a listening platform. And that's sort of in the, the protect, measure, and promote side as well. So your protection side is much more across being able to see if there's any issues arising and sentiment, whether that be positive or negative. And that's probably really important for uh, brands to be across. Uh, a lot of our clients do go through and, and utilize that to make sure that there is uh, positive brand sentiment. And if there's negative, why is that? So they can go on a bit of a crisis communications approach if something bad comes out. The measurement side is being able to go through, look at the, more of your, your standard foundation damage sort of metrics, brand health, you know, social media, reach, engagement, those those KPIs. And then the promote side is being able to go through and 
actually identify where the brand is being seen as well. And also, you know, the sort of the demographics that, that make up the, uh, the audience that you're after is uh, you're, you're looking to, to target. So there's some of the key things that the brand should be going through and, and focusing on. Um, just so they have a, a much deeper understanding of not so much their owned media, that's their self-promoted stuff, but the earned media, that, that larger conversation that can be, you know, sometimes 80 to, to 90, 90% of the conversation too. So being able to really properly understand who your audience is, what they do, and also their potentially even their, their buying behaviours is, is a pretty important thing to, for organisations to, to monitor. Josh Kreutzler, co-founder at Forefront, joined us for our first roundtable in episode 100, taking a look at the future of sponsorship. You know I can't help myself with an icebreaker question, so I started out by asking them, what has been your favourite ever sponsorship campaign or piece of sponsorship creative? And I did let them nominate something that they've worked on or something that they've admired and loved from afar. Co-founder at Forefront, Josh Kreutzler, gave this answer. It's impossible to work in this industry and pick just one piece of sponsorship creative. So I'm going to give you a couple. That wasn't the question you asked, but I'm going to give you a couple. The first one... And what was interesting is I just looked back and it's actually 20 years old at this point is the MasterCard priceless campaign. And the reason that it's so interesting is going back to that first piece of creative, it was a father and a son at a baseball game talking about making memories and and those memories are priceless. And that campaign was actually done by McCann Erickson. And and if you go back and read, they talked about that people started submitting their own priceless campaigns, that people started submitting their own pieces of content in and around being priceless. And one of the quotes was, it was a meme before there were memes. And when you think about sort of sponsorship campaigns that one have had such a a shelf life and have made such an impression, not only on sort of the brand, but on the culture and has become sort of like a cultural tenant, and I think it did such a just a great job of sort of blending a great message and heart. I know a lot of what we're going to be talking about is data, but I think our mantra is art, heart, and science. And so I think it was such a great blend of a really on-point campaign, but also one that just had a huge amount of heart. Now, with that, there's a couple others that definitely make the list. There was one that we did work on with eSurance and minor league baseball called hashtag call up worthy. And the reason this really resonates with me amongst the many that we did was I love sponsorship campaigns that sort of shift paradigms and eSurance at the time, their whole premise was taking things that were, I guess you would call them uh, antiquated or when you call somebody up from the minor leagues to the major leagues and you're in the, in the minors in US sports, that's the biggest moment of their career is, you know, you get called into the manager's office and you're coming to the show, but there's really no way to capture that. And what eSurance wanted to do is sort of create content in and around that moment. So the idea that we created hashtag call up worthy and essentially documented every stop along the way of a minor league player's career and sort of put it as a, as a snapshot in time. And why that was such a paradigm shift for minor league baseball is they were so specific to hard assets, right? In-stadium assets, signage, things like that. So this was really their biggest first foray into the world of digital. And it was an amazing look at sort of a social campaign and a way to sort of capture the imagination and and sort of timestamp this piece of creative. And the last one is just fun. 
it was Bud Light and the Cleveland Browns. And the Cleveland Browns uh, in the NFL are not bad now, but suffered through years and years of just being an unbelievably terrible football team. And they went almost two years without winning a game. And so to start the regular season in year three, Bud Light came up with a campaign all around locked fridges in bars. So there were Bud Light fridges put in bars with chains and locks around them that literally couldn't be opened until the Cleveland Browns won a football game. And they were called victory fridges. And so the amount of excitement in the town of Cleveland when they got to open those fridges and everybody got a free Bud Light was unbelievable and it became a national news story. And what's so interesting to me about that is it's never easy, but it's a lot easier to market a winning franchise, right? If you, you're winning titles, you're winning trophies, you're winning championships, it's easy to sort of gain the, the public's attention. It's a lot harder to do that when you're, you're terrible and you're a last place team. And I think it was a great reminder to all us marketers that there's still ways to be creative regardless of what you do on and or off the field. Somebody smarter than me had a quote that said, sponsorship allows the things that we love to happen. And it's just a great reminder that sort of that connectivity and sort of that investment, if done in the right way, you know, sort of forwards the experience. And all of those, that connectivity and that journey are the ones that sort of stand out to me because all of my best memories are tied to sport, whether as an athlete or being in the stands with my dad or now being in the stands with my kids. It's those are the memory making opportunities. In episode 101, we continued our roundtables looking at the future of sponsorship and Alice Larkworthy, Senior Partner Services Manager at Arsenal FC, joined the show for the second time in 2021. Lifting up the focus, I then asked, what's the biggest challenge facing the sponsorship industry in the next five to 10 years? A nice big broad one for them there. I think it'll be finding space in the crowd, right? I think we sort of, there's so many brands out there in, in a great way in my field specifically that want to be involved in that sort of sports sponsorship space that we as rights holders and agencies, you know, a lot of, I guess, pressure on us to identify where those gaps are and what partners can kind of come in to exploit that. We've moved to a really kind of digitally focused world over the last 18 months for obvious reasons, which is great. But then again, there's only so many types of a certain piece of content that can go out on a week that you know a brand would actually get the exposure that they want so what other areas can we exploit and i think even though that digital focus has been at the forefront of everyone's mind where we're at now is as people are still craving getting on site at events again right and being part of that atmosphere and being a part of that family so it's important not to neglect that element of it. So I think it's sort of going back to having that holistic thinking in terms of that wider sponsorship deal. What are the touch points? What are we kind of trying to achieve at it? It's not just going to be one channel, right? And who are we talking to? What actually are the areas are we going to hit them hit the most? Which, you know, everyone's going to be doing. Everyone's going to be finding that 1% difference. So again, it's kind of just making sure that we're finding that space, we're talking to the right people, and that the brand is actually sort of getting the breathing room and kind of the visibility that they're looking for. Michael Israel from GMR Marketing was a guest on our last roundtable taking a look at the future of sponsorship in episode 102. 
a nice big broad question, a blue sky thinking question, and of course, one that focuses on what so many touched on in their previous answers and an area so important to all sides of the industry, and that is data. And I asked, we are still 10 years into the future. How do you describe how data is being used in sponsorship on any side of the fence? I don't think it's hyperbole to say that the technology advancements, particularly around data, is, is going to completely change how the attendees experience an event, how properties create sponsorship packages, and how brands reach their audience to drive impact. The more data teams have on their fans and their, their behaviors, the more they can offer a personalized experience, uh, leading to new ways for brands to engage with their target demographics. Um, the fans will have experiences that they want and engage with the, the team in, in, in new ways which could be much different from each other. It's all very personalized. So for sponsorship properties, knowing their customers as well as Google, Facebook, and other tech companies know us so well, um, provides massive advantage. Um, on the experience side, just focusing a, a little bit on a game experience. If I'm a brand like McDonald's, I don't have to give all 20,000 fans that attend a basketball game a voucher for a free, free hamburger um, as they do today. Instead, I can give kind of better rewards to the fans who I know are already my customers um, because I have their purchase history through the venue app or something like that. Um, and even better yet, I can have that voucher ping directly to the customer's phone as they walk past McDonald's concession stand. So it's a surprise and delight, which really just creates a much more impactful brand engagement um, and much more meaning into the sponsorship. So the more people engage with the sports property, the more information that's collected, the better the user experience should be and the more business impact to the bottom line of the properties and the brands that sponsor them. That data is a massive business advantage in all aspects and the properties that invest in the technology, again, specifically on the experience side to maximize this will, will be the long-term business winners. And finally, Joseph Borrell took us inside Valencia CF in episode 103. So Joseph, the sponsorship landscape in terms of what sponsors were receiving in partnerships, before COVID came along, it was pretty set or it was pretty stock standard. There wasn't that much innovation happening. But as I said, COVID came along and, and digital was really accelerated. It was starting to build pre-COVID. But once COVID hit, it, it really did come to the fore. And of course, things you mentioned it earlier before, like fan tokens have really taken off over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. But now that we are pretty much on the other side, of COVID and we're starting to get back to business as usual pretty much. What does what brands are requesting from you, from rights holders, what are they requesting and talking about in their sponsorships? What does it look like in terms of the assets and the rights that they are seeking from you? One of the things that um, I've seen more and more is um, that it has changed completely is when negotiating the contract. So what do we put in the contract? Prior to COVID, the force majeure clause in the contracts was almost completely overseen or we uh, hardly paid any attention to it. And now we spend so much time on it. We spend so much time on analyzing and measuring uh, the value every single asset that we're gonna put in the contract because we want to understand how we're gonna compensate this how we're gonna what uh, what amount of money gonna give back in case something happens in case the competition ends in case another pandemic comes in so this is something that is being completely new and i'm seeing it and we're spending so much time when writing the contracts in that sense the other thing that i'm seeing is 
obviously everything needs to be measured. Partners, brands want assets that can be measured. And one of the examples that I can put you is um, the relationship that we have with Cecil, that is a payment method in the buy now pay later industry. We have meetings with them every single week. And I will say from there, we spend only 20% of the marketing side of things. We spend 80% of the time in understanding how we're going to increase that share that they have within the payment methods in our e-commerce. So it shows you that brands are looking at things that are not that related to brand building anymore, is which asset can have an impact on their businesses. And sponsorship professionals need to be focusing on understanding these other businesses as well. So not only on, on, on traditional sponsorship. That's another thing. And the third thing is I think brands are helping uh, at, at trying to get help from right holders on the digital marketing side of things. So instead of me using the media budget that I have, how are you going to help me to use this media budget efficiently? Do you have the capabilities as a right holder? This is the conversation that we're having at the moment. And uh, especially now, for example, in Spain, that we're losing a massive revenue stream from betting companies, it's a time for sponsorship professionals to uh, evolve and be able to understand other industries and create new assets for these new industries as well. Well, another challenging year for sponsorship, and I think I'm stating the obvious and saying what everyone is thinking when I say, I can't wait for things to truly get back to normal. As we kick off 2022, we are creating an exciting list of guests for the show. However, if you know somebody who would make a great guest or you have a topic you'd love us to cover, please just get in contact and let me know. Of course, once again, to all the amazing guests who came on the show in 2021 to share their experiences and insights, expertise, and of course, their advice in such a candid way on behalf of all the listeners. Thank you so much for finding some time in your busy schedules. We all truly appreciate it. If you'd like to learn more about any of the guests from 2021, simply head along to the show notes for this episode at coursoftware.com where I've provided a link to their LinkedIn page and a link to their organization's website. If you'd like a shout out in 2022 or just want to connect and say hi, then I'd totally love to hear from you. I do really get a kick out of it when people send me messages, even if it is just to say hi. Connect with me on LinkedIn, just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N. That's a wrap for episode 104. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, eBooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.